So for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, myself and Sue, we've been going through a little uh, kind of uh, series on just what it means and how we go through times of difficulty, how we endure. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was talking about Jeremiah, uh, and I was talking about how Jeremiah was called by God. And actually, uh, that within those verses, as Jeremiah, as God called Jeremiah, there were a couple of things there that um, I believe really helped Jeremiah to, pers- to, to persist and to endure through the difficult times that he went through. Is the fact that actually God very clearly gave him a sense of identity, this is who you are, and calling, this is what I want you to do. And actually, those gave Jeremiah a foundation then to go through the difficulties that he had to face. And then Sue, last week, highlighted how even though we don't like it, even though uh, so often we hate waiting, waiting is part of God's plan for us. And it's a key in, in building our godly character. She read some verses from James and from Romans. Let me just read these through to you again. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will, be, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Endurance develops our character. We are God's workmanship and he is doing something new in us he is building us and the way he chooses to do that many times is asking us to go through difficult times to endure and to persevere we don't always like it but that is how we are shaped it's when not if we go through trials that's, that's this difficult thing. And I know I've said it and Sue said it a few times back that, you know, if, we are, if, you're, if you're not going through trials now, it might be you just come out of going through some trials or you're just around the corner from going into your next lot of difficulties where you have to trust in God and hold on to him. Did you come for some positive news this morning? And I want to look together uh, this morning at something uh, that I believe we can pick out from these stories of endurance. You see, particularly Sue last week, she talked about how God develops us through endurance, how God reveals things about us, how we need to be shaped and how we need to, to be changed in order to move forward. But I believe as God leads us on our, on our journey, as we go through difficult times, it's not just about God doing something in us. It's also about God revealing something of himself as we go through those difficult times. And I want us to, to pick out three particular things that I believe God reveals about himself as we go through, as we, as we choose to endure, as we choose faith in order to, to press forward. And God reveals things about himself as we do that. 
And we're going to be looking particularly at the story of, of one man, but we'll draw some things from various places in Scripture this morning. And the thing with Jeremiah is we were looking at him a few weeks ago. You know, as I say, he had his, his calling to be the voice of God, speaking truth to, to a people who didn't want to hear. And so as he spoke and those people didn't want to hear, they reacted and they responded and they verbally abused him and they physically abused him and they chucked him in a pit and they, they starved him and, uh, and, and, and all that he had to endure, all that he cried out to God, in many senses there was a, uh, there was, he could see a reason for it. He was called by God, he didn't like it, he cried out to God, but there was a reaction from people. What he went through seemed to make sense. But there's somebody in the Bible this morning who is very different. Job. Job is very different to Jeremiah. Let's just read a few verses from Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says this, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire region. The Jeff Bezos of his day. But he was blameless and stood before God with integrity. And yet, if you know the story, then you know that actually all of that was taken away from him. And God authorised for that to be taken away from him. And he, he sat in the dust, in his ashes, uh, and he said, why God? And his friends all pointed their finger and said, you must have done something wrong. And, and Job says, no, I've honoured God. There was no reason for Job's suffering and yet still it came but within that Job chose to hold on to God Job chose faith Job chose faith in order for his character to be developed. He chose endurance in order to become more righteous in the eyes of God. He, he chose faith in order to pursue the God who had made him. You see, choosing faith doesn't take the pain away. Choosing faith doesn't take the pain away. Job still had to go through all that grief and that loss, and that suffering. Choosing faith doesn't stop the questions. You know, after those first two chapters of, of kind of, uh, of narrative, we then have something like 35 chapters of Job asking questions, Job and his friends asking questions. He chose faith. He chose to say, God, I'm going to cling on to you. And yet the question still came. Choosing faith in the suffering doesn't actually create a logical reason for the things you're going through. There's not always logic to it. We can't say, because of this and this and this, this is why I'm going through what I'm going through. It's not logical. You know, there are so many things in this story that we just don't like. You don't like God having a conversation with the enemy. We don't like what the, the fact that God is watching from the sidelines and looking on as Job goes through all of this. We don't enjoy the fact that God permits Job's ten children to die, to be taken from him. 
so much about this story that doesn't seem to make sense. It certainly isn't satisfying to us. But so often in our own place of difficulties and our own places, it doesn't make sense. And we don't find any satisfaction in the way God deals with us. But it is what it is. And we have to find our way through it. You see, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of that difficulty, faith is still an option, even when it's illogical, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't stop the pain, even when it doesn't stop the questions. Faith is still an option for us to choose. And Job made that choice. And as Job made that choice, I believe that God then took him on a journey where God revealed so much of himself to Job. So I want us to look at three things, as I said this morning. Three things that I believe we see through Job's story, but also in other places in Scripture as well. First of all, I think God reveals to us, as we go through suffering, as we go through difficult times, God reveals his sovereignty. God reveals his sovereignty. Let's pick up the story of Job again in chapter 1, verse 6. It says this, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job is a good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. We know as we pick up uh, later on that Satan, the accuser, comes before God and says, we've taken everything away, but what about him? And actually God allows then uh, uh, Job's body to be, uh, to be racked with, with sores and boils and for physical suffering to come too. But within this, I want you to see that God is still sovereign. At no point in the story is God out of control. You know, when, when, God, when Satan comes in uh, with the rest of the heavenly host and God says to Satan, uh, where have you been? What have you been up to? It's no surprise to God. God, it's not that God doesn't know. He just needs to hear it out of Satan's mouth because God is still in control of Satan. And so God says, where have you been? And Satan say, well, I've just been roaming around. And it's God who chooses to highlight Job. God chooses to highlight Job. God is in control of all of this. And God says, yes, you can do this much, but no more. And then God goes on again in the second conversation. Yes, you can do this much, but no more. God is sovereign. But you know, that absolutely presents a difficulty for us. The difficulty for us is we are then, I'm, what I'm saying to you is, you know, we have faith. We choose to step into faith that the God is sovereign over all. And yet we're asking, what I'm asking us to do is to hold on to the hand of the one who has actually led us into suffering in the first place. The God who has said, yes, Satan, you can afflict Job in this way, is the one who also says, Job, hold on to me. 
There's a challenge there for us in our faith. To step into faith and say, God, you've allowed this. That's not fair. I don't understand. Why have you let this happen? And we know through history, we perhaps know through our own personal experience of people who have been in that situation and said, God, this is just not on. I can't handle this. I need to turn my back and walk away. My heart is hardened to you, God, because I cannot tolerate this, this God who says you love me and yet you've drawn me into this place. It doesn't make sense. How can I be expected to trust you when you've drawn me to this place? And yet God says, I am sovereign. If I've led you into this place, then I can lead you out of this place. Will you hold my hand and let me show you? God is sovereign. It's a hard thing for us to grasp. It's a hard thing for us to take hold of. But God is sovereign. God wants us to see it, to see that he is in control. You know, the thing is, even, with, even if we were to try and ask questions, God, why is this happening? You know, we see through Job that actually even if God tried to give us answers, we probably wouldn't understand anyway and would just lead to more questions. Sometimes the right answer is to say, God, you're sovereign. I'm holding your hand. Lead me through. And may we see God is sovereign this morning. I believe the second thing that God is revealing is God reveals his character. God reveals his character through our difficulties and our suffering. You know, Job doesn't know it yet at the beginning of our story. But Job is on his way to the most intimate encounter that he would ever have in his lifetime. Though this season of suffering had come upon him, he was actually in a moment where he was about to experience God as he'd never experienced God before, leading him into a greater understanding of who God is. And then we don't always come closer to God through our suffering, but God wants us to, to draw us into a personal experience of who he is. God wants to draw us into the personal experience of who he is. And it can be easy for us to remain distant from God, even though we know about him through reading the Bible, listening to, to sermons, messages in church or online, going to conferences, hearing other people's testimonies. You know, we come to church and we go through the motions, we go through the routine. But we also, as we do that, we're able to hold God at a bit of a distance, God, I know about you. I have a knowledge about you. But that's not the same as having a, having a personal experience of God. And God wants to invite us into a personal experience. And sometimes because of our hard hearts, sometimes because of how we resist, God has to bring us to a place where he says, I want to show you who I really am. And the only way I can really do that is to break you in some way, is to break the situation around you. So you are lost without me and you have to cry out, God, where are you? It's in those moments that we see God and his character. Sometimes we're afraid to come too close because we're actually scared of what God might ask us to do. Do we want to stay in control of our lives as much, as much as we actually are because we want to resist our full surrender to God because we don't actually know what that's going to be like and, and we're fearful. 
But God wants a personal encounter with you. Chris Tigreen is an author. He's written various books. He's written some uh, one-year devotionals, and, and some of you may have read some of the things he's written. But he's also written a book called Why a Suffering World Makes Sense. And the, the simple premise of, of this book is that only in a fallen world filled with evil, where we routinely experience suffering and difficulties and anguish, only in that kind of world can all of God's remarkable attributes really be experienced and displayed. In a perfect world such as heaven, there's no need for God's compassion or forgiveness or mercy or his comfort, or his healing, or redemption, because it's all perfect. It's in the fallen world where God is seen most. In our trials, difficulties, suffering, in in us choosing faith, in us choosing to endure, in us persevering, it's in those places we get to see God in all his fullness. Think about this. If you want to know God as healer, then you must be afflicted physically, or mentally, or emotionally. If you want to know God as restorer, then you need to experience loss. If you want to know God as comforter, then you must experience emotional pain. If you want to know God as provider, then you must experience lack or deprivation. If you want to know God as deliverer, then you must be in bondage to something or someone. If you want to know God as merciful, then you must make mistakes and mess up. If you want to know God as the Prince of Peace, then... You must contend with situations that produce confusion, anxiety, and fear. To truly know, not just as in head knowledge, but to know with all your being the fullness of God, then we need to go through experiences that demonstrate the fullness of God to us. God reveals himself to us as we go through these situations. James, in his letters, I read at the beginning of uh, the message this morning, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because God is revealing himself to you. Consider it joyful. God, you want to show something of yourself to me. I invite you this morning to whatever it is you're going through, whatever struggle it is, be, be big or small, whatever it is you're wrestling with this morning, that you would consider an opportunity to personally experience some reflection of God and his character in your particular journey. That it's not just a theory, it's the reality of God in your life. That instead of asking, why me? We're asking, God, what are you showing me about who you are? That we open our hearts to what God is revealing to us. God reveals himself in his sovereignty. God reveals himself, he reveals his character. And thirdly, I believe that God reveals his glory. God reveals his glory through suffering. You know, we see in the story of Job how God reveals his glory and majesty. You know, when God turns up in the whirlwind in chapter 38... We see God's glory revealed. The questions that God poses to Job are such a a beautiful expression of God's power and might in creation. Of the expanse of everything that God has created. 
You know, Job had come with all these questions. Uh, I, I love this. Job comes all these questions, and we see so often in Scripture, when we come to questions, when we come to God with questions, what is God's way of responding? Always with questions. He always comes back with a question. Always comes back with a question. What must I do to be saved? Jesus says, well, what, does, what, does the, what, what must I, uh, how, how do I love my neighbor? And Jesus says, what does the law say? Job comes all these questions. God says, well, where were you when I made the world? Where, are you, where were you when I stretched out the heavens, when I filled the deepest seas? Where were you when I created Leviathan? Where were you when I created the behemoth? Where were you when God created those mighty beasts that we now call dinosaurs? Where were you, Job, when I made all these things? Look at my glory. And it's a challenge, isn't it? God reveals his glory. But I want us to actually look at another story. Perhaps a more intimate story of God revealing his glory in suffering. There's a story in, uh, in the New Testament, John chapter 11. I picked up some of these ideas from one of John Piper's articles on the internet. I loved it. It, kind of, it gave a new perspective on this to me, but I just loved how he shaped some of these things. But the story is the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that, that period when, uh, when Lazarus dies. And we read of, of Jesus and he's, he comes to them. Let me just read the first six verses of Luke chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are good friends of Jesus. There is genuine, real love and affection between Jesus and this family. You know, John helps us and puts it into context. He says, you know, here's Lazarus and here's Martha and here's Mary. And then he introduces Mary and says, look, Mary is the one who later on comes and anoints Jesus' feet in an act of adoration and love and worship. There's a connection here. And several times through this, we are, we are pointed to the fact that there is genuine affection, love between Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and vice versa. It's a special friendship. And Lazarus is ill. And the ladies send a message to, to, to Jesus, your, your dear friend, the one you love, he's ill. It's explicit, it's very clear that love is at the core of the relationship here. It's not just a casual acquaintance. It's not like uh, the centurion who says, sends messengers to Jesus and say, my servant's ill. And uh, this is a personal invitation. And Jesus' response when he hear the news was this. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So God's son will be glorified through it. The first thing that Jesus does when he hears about Lazarus' suffering and Mary and Martha's grief is to point it to God's glory. It's the first thing that Jesus does. We don't think this way. We don't always look at the things that we're going through and say, this is for God's glory. 
that's not our first response. And maybe we need to recognize at times that the things that God leads us into, the things that God allows the enemy to put on us are for God's glory. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about him. Lazarus is going to die. Jesus knows he's going to die. He's going to let him die intentionally because it's about his glory, about his father's glory. But it's also about love. You cannot avoid God's glory being shown here and take it out of the context that John writes in, the love of God for this family. You know, we can look at Job and see God as potentially being quite distant. We can see it as kind of particularly the way God uh, responds to Job. And there's a distance there because God is just highlighting his glory. But it's not because it is a loveless relationship. God loves Job, even if we don't always see it as clearly. But right here in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus' love goes along with his glory. And we need to see that connection when we go through our difficult times. God loves us, but even in that time where God is loving us, he's drawing us through something in order for his name to be glorified. And there's this little word at the beginning of verse 6. Verse 5 says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there he was for two more days. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are loved by Jesus, and so he rushes to them. And so he calls out to his father in heaven and says, Lazarus, be healed. No, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are loved by Jesus. And so he stays where he is for two more days. You see, God wanted to use them to bring glory to his name. God wants to use you to bring glory to his name through your, uh, through your submission to him and your willingness to say, God, I don't understand, but I accept. I'll hold on to you because you are sovereign. I'll hold on to you because you're revealing yourself to me. And I'll hold on to you because, God, ultimately it's not about me. It's about your glory being revealed through me. And I, God, I want, I, I, I hate this suffering. I want this to end. But more than that, I want your name to be glorified. I want your name to be revealed. That ultimately is how God reveals himself through his suffering. And Jesus isn't rushing to heal. He's saying there's a plan. There's a plan. I loved Jan's picture when we were showing testimonies a few weeks back. Just a picture of that washing machine cycle. We put the washing machine on and you don't, you don't stop that washing machine halfway through. You don't stop the cycle halfway through. You have to allow that cycle to finish before those things are cleaned and washed. There are cycles that we have to go through. And if we try and remove ourselves or get God to step in before that cycle is finished, it's incomplete. Persevere. Endure. See it through to the end. Because God is sovereign. God is revealing himself to you. And God wants to use you to reveal his glory to the watching world. And in my prayer this morning, just as we come to a close, is this. That God will reveal his character to us as we allow him to. You know, Job had, when, and God had finished challenging uh, Job, 
You know, Job says in verse, uh, in chapter 42, I think it's verse 5. And he says there, uh, I've not got it here, but he says there something about the fact that actually I will open, I've only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job had a fresh revelation of God. A fresh revelation of God because of what he went through. Something that he'd known about before for all his wealth, all his success, all his comfort, even though he was blameless and righteous before God. He didn't have a complete picture of God. And he needed to go through through some experiences. And all he could say at the end is, God, I thought I knew you, but I now I know you some more. I didn't like the journey, but I like where I've got to. My prayer this morning is that we have a fresh revelation of God as we submit to him and the things that he has taken us through. God, give us a fresh revelation of who you are the scope of your sovereignty, the breadth of your character, the wealth of your glory. Let's just pray. Oh, Father God, For all our knowledge, all our experience, everything we've been through, everything we think we know of you. You are the God who is knowable yet unknowable. Father, we know in order to get to know you more, to see more of your sovereignty, to see more of who you are, your character to allow your glory to shine through us. Father God, that takes us submitting to you whatever circumstances you choose to lead us through. Forgive us, Father God, when we harden our hearts, when we resist, when seeking the answers to our questions becomes the main thing rather than seeking you in the questions. Father God, reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself. Father God, I just pray over people here this morning and uh, where there's a challenge that others know about, whether it's something they're going through that others know, know about and people already know that you're enduring and you're persevering and you've got people around you helping you and supporting you or whether it's something that you are holding on to yourself, that it's just something that you're going through with God. With God. My prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you and says, let go. Stop trying to find solutions for yourself. I've got you. Father God has got this. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. And I pray the Holy Spirit over you will reveal the character of God. 
open our eyes. So it's not just words we say, but experiences we have of your compassion, your mercy, your goodness, your healing, your restoration, your provision. And God, even as we prayed right at the beginning, we know that we are imperfect vessels, but you choose to glorify yourself. You glorify your name through us, Father God. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll continue to change and transform us to be Christ-like so that your glory is revealed through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.